Hey everyone, this is Tony Holbein. You're listening to the Super Revenue Brothers with Raul and Tony. In today's episode, we'll break down if you should outsource your outbound team. Is it the cure that agencies claim to be or is it just a con? Enjoy. So um, we got some feedback on our last two sessions, which were we were talking a lot about scam or scheme. And our English-speaking friends were pointing out that for them, scam or scheme isn't that much a part, you know? And I was like, what, what are you talking about? Scam's obviously bad. Scheme's obviously proper. And they were like, Tony, what about permit scheme? And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I see. Okay, sure. We're going to do something else. And I think what we came up with, what, what did we come up with now, Raul? What are we going to do from now on? Yeah, I think, I, I don't know if it was the genius of Tony or the genius of, of GPT. It's con or cure. Let's, let's go with that for now. I like the con part and, and the cure part also makes a lot of sense. So let's go with that. Yeah, and basically kind of that, that helped us a lot on, you know, ideation, what to talk about next, right? Con gives itself to kind of a couple of really interesting items. And potentially today, what we're going to, you know, unfold a little bit is, and this is a question, I've been getting this a lot, uh, and I'm not 100% sure where you spend, stand there, and especially with kind of Project A and everything. Should you be outsourcing your outbound team or your outbound process, right? Should you have a meeting booking agency that sits there and, you know, books meetings for you and then hands it over to your sales team? Is it a con or is it a cure? This one is more difficult for me than the last ones because I want to say for now, that's just to get it started off, I'm going to say for now cure, actually, mm -hmm. at the right phase, at the right phase, which is very unlikely to be very early on in your company. And so... I think there's one big mistake you can make, which is doing that too early when you've actually not understood anything about your go-to-market really yet. It's a cure for, let's say, Series B, Series C, maybe actually larger, more complex sales cycles where it's really just sort of one step in the evolution and there's not that much happening in there to a very certain extent, even calling it just appointment booking, right? Mm -hmm. Which is, if that is something that takes that much time and that is just not worth it in the grand scheme of things to you, where there's maybe even gatekeeper game involved, where you have to get over a lot of people. There's no value add to that. I can see it, and I can totally see that that being money well spent. But mm -hmm. if you're like early on in the life of your company, 100% con, because this is where you need to understand your customers. If you don't talk to them, give that to out, you outsource that to someone else, you're basically hindering yourself from growing in that area. So I agree. So what... So I'm not quite sure if I agree with the kind of series B, series C and, and so forth, kind of when you have figured some of these things out, because the, you know, to a degree, it sometimes then feels like a very special situation where it makes sense, right? Because like, let's just say you are a US player, UK player, and you want to go into Germany and you know kind of what to say, but you haven't built up an SDR team and maybe especially in Germany, an outbound team difficult to build, yada, yada. And then you go for one of those meeting booking agencies. Is that the situation where you think this could work out? What's your perspective on that? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I mean. So the low value add activities to sort of your own market intelligence. Think about it like this. To me, outbound, outbound is so beautiful because of a lot of reasons. And they're not just related to getting the meeting or getting the customer. It's also about what it does for yourself. And of course, the first things that come to mind are things such as, oh, we learn about the customer, right? And we learn a lot more qualitative insight that we can then use to drive marketing, product, operations, every part of the company, really, which is relevant to a mm -hmm. startup, especially mm -hmm. in the beginning, as you need to make a lot of evolutions. But then there's also more that, that comes with it. So to, in a certain extent, uh, outbound is control. Like outbound means 
uh, at any given moment, whatever happens, uh, you don't have to wait for leads from this source. You don't have to, I don't know, whatever law comes into place that, that hinders you from doing this kind of ad or that kind of marketing. As long as you have a phone or you could even walk in into offices, you can call people or write them on LinkedIn or whatever, but like outbound to a certain extent is, is control. And it's also even one more than that, maybe being a bit esoterical here, it's also confidence. I've seen the things that it can do for a company and knowing that you could, if you wanted to get customers and you also knew how to a certain extent, it gives you a lot of confidence. Yeah. So I, I think I agree with that. The thing is though, and that's the problem. It's, you know, early on you, you know, you can try and outsource it, but it will not work. So therefore it's basically a con, right? So the same thing at Growblocks, right? We're super early on. We're learning how to do outbound ourselves right now. And we're kind of learning a lot of message market fit, product market fit is kind of lots of insights coming from this actually. Even if you wanted to, even internally, let's just say we were had to hire like five SDRs out of you know business school, out of college or something like this, we wouldn't even know what to tell them what to do, right? Kind of even at that point, it would be like, well, you know, I'm not sure if we can make those internal resources even successful. And if you can't make the internal resource successful, doing this externally is even harder, actually, right? So the, I think the upside externally is like, well, you don't have them on your payroll, so that's great. I think the other one is all the instrumentation, all the process, all the tooling, all of that stuff is already in place for these agencies, and they just slot you in, basically. And, but you still need to enable them and tell them, hey, this is what you need to say on the phone. Mm. Those are the ICPs you need to go for. And this is then how we do the handover. And then we take this and have a process that sits behind it. And I think super early on, you just don't have that understanding. You don't have that knowledge. And even if someone were to book some meetings, you know, unclear if this is going to turn into revenue. And, and on top of that, you won't have the learnings either, right? You, you're actually not progressing necessarily. So that's why I think, especially in the early stages, it's pretty much a con. And I would even say, when you're trying to break into a new market, I would even say, to a degree, yes, you know, you're still selling the same product. You might still sell it to the same persona in, in a new market. But to a degree, you have a new product market fit kind of situation happening there, right? Where you need to find out what are the right what are the right trigger points, what are the right things to say. You know, the competitor set might be slightly different in this market. Some of the requirements might be slightly different in this market. So just pushing a, the meeting appointment out to someone else, I think is going to cut off a lot of learnings and it's probably not going to work out for you actually, right? I've myself tried buying some outsourced resources in order to boost outbound. So we had a, like a very large outbound production going and it was great. And I was seeing because of hiring, because of some issues, I was seeing a gap appearing. I was seeing a gap appearing in like a month or two or three from now. And I knew I couldn't hire against that. And then I was like, hey, what if I just took someone outsourced and just boot them up? And I got to say it's, at least for me, it never really fully worked out. It never really worked out. Lots of issues then with if an agency and you have an internal team in the same market and there's overlaps and all kinds of things. Maybe you tell me how to manage that better. But those are basically kind of things that I ran into. And this was like a series B kind of, you know, stage at that point. I at least never made it work. Let's just say it like this. That's why I kind of have this belief now that it, you know, must be a con basically. Depends really on where you're at with your company. And to come back to the point from earlier. So again, there's outbound that gives you a lot of value. I talked about that a minute ago. To me, it's a con when it prevents you from getting those learnings when you don't have them yet. Mm -hmm. So 
let's say you don't have that confidence yet. You don't have the learning about how to actually go to market or how to actually talk to this customer and that customer. And you don't have those feedback loops set up yet. And you don't have these value adds anywhere else, then it's a con. But in the case of we're purely talking about, hey, this is something that is so low value add for me. And mm -hmm. that is, it's not that I, I've learned what I needed to learn to a, to a certain degree. You never know everything, but mm -hmm. we have a good confidence about our customer. We have a good confidence about which ICP is targeted by which USPs and which messaging and all that. When you have that situation, and that typically correlates with later stage, but it doesn't have to. Like there are Series B companies that still have no idea what their ICP is like, right? But when you have that kind of thing, and you can really boil it down to, hey, this is just an activity that takes a ton of time and that we're not as efficient in, but it's also not giving us a lot other than the, the lead in itself or the demo in itself or the meeting in itself or the event invite, which, by the way, that's a, that's a big classic. Inviting people to events via outsourcing providers is a big one. Mm -hmm. Then I think it's an absolute cure because then it really is just about outsourcing something that you are that is not bringing you very much, that is costing you a lot, and you're taking all your valuable people that could be doing actual outreach or that could be doing, I don't know, like the inbound leads and work with them and bring them further or do the demos itself, upskill people for that. You could do much more value-adding activities for your company with, with those people, even with even if you were to hire additional people. Yeah. So so let's say you you made the decision now. You're gonna you're gonna have an outsourced team, right? Let's just say, let's just say at this point, hey, we know how this thing works, we know exactly where we need this step in the funnel, we know exactly how to take it from there. And how should you go about, you know, selecting a team that helps you with that? Right? What is the thinking around going for like a more, you know, uh, like a call center kind of approach versus, hey, this is an outsourced SDR, BDR team kind of approach. What are the differentiators between those two? Yeah. So to me, there's two big mistakes to avoid and, and to look out for. There's a couple more, but two really big ones. And number one is sort of believing the bullshit of all the agencies out there and all the outsourcing providers because it's really difficult to really differentiate yourself uh, in, in that area. And it's also difficult as a customer to, uh, to perceive what is the differentiation here really. Because um, by quality, it's hard to judge other than maybe by referrals, which uh, I encourage you strongly to get. But even then, they're highly contextual. So it's really hard to say, hey, okay, these, this friend of mine from university works in the travel sector and had good experience with that agency. And I'm a software as a service, Roblox. Now, would that work for me? Hard to say. Might, might not work. But um, what I think is, going back to that point, is really difficult is to gauge how much they can really do themselves. Because they're always going to promise you, hey, we have superior intelligence. We have CRMs in place. We have all these systems. We, have, uh, we, we know your ICP. We know this. We know that. And truth is, that's almost never the case. I've, I've very rarely seen it work out really that way you will always have to sit down together with them and either tell them about your ICP extensively and tell them about your personas and about your pitches and about your, the values that you have and the objections that you're facing, or it's probably not going to work out. The hope of bypassing having to do all that work yourself, finding out about objections and how to handle them in your case, that's not working. They're, they're not going to do that work. What they can do is if you help them and if you support them well in that, they can make sort of the not so much brain work, but very efficient for you. And that is really the thing. So mistake number one, having too much faith in their sort of skills around finding right messaging, right customer, right targeting and all that. They're not going to. You have to help them do that and then they can execute it well. When you and I talk about outbound, we're starting to 
more and more go into a direction of real outbound, kind of send an actual message, an authentic message to someone and yes, do it at scale and so forth. And then when you get to the next point, you kind of have maybe a phone call and, and you need to know what you're talking about, right? And in many cases, you're talking to maybe CROs, maybe VP of sales, maybe, you know, head of RevOps. If you're selling into those kind of roles, I'm not sure if this works out with a completely outsourced team to kind of do that for you, right? If you have a, maybe you have a different persona, maybe that works out, but I'm not sure. Maybe I'm just asking you for advice here on the, on the, on the podcast here, but it's almost like, um, should you be thinking about what kind of personas you're trying to target and depending on that, make the decision whether or not you, you know, an outsourced, which will always be junior to a large degree kind of team, right? Um, if that can actually work for your persona and for your, for your target accounts. I don't know if there is one answer for this to be, to mm. be honest, really, because so me personally, I'm not a huge believer that past experience in a certain field or with a certain persona in a certain industry uh, is going to yield future performance as well. Mm. Now, I think there is some correlation and in, in some cases, some agencies differentiate themselves by that and really become specialists in that. And there can be huge value in that, even adding to what you already know, because they've been doing it maybe for 10, 15 years, and you've been just doing it, you've just been doing it for two, three years. Mm. So if you're targeting that, what I would actually do is really go very hard into testing them and also understanding what it is they're doing. Um, number one, because uh, I'm always skeptical that this is really what's going to differentiate them, but I would really go hard into figuring that out and seeing, okay, can we, can we actually see some performance uplift here? But then also take those learnings away. So if you see that they're really good at I don't know, corporates and finding large stakeholders, or if you see that they're really good at getting into a certain market, figure out why, right? And, and they will let you do that, especially in the beginning, if you want to sort of do combined testing with them. And on the other hand, again, I don't think when it comes to sort of the strategic part or the strategic layer of things or the layer of the contextual of your company, they're never going to know that as well as you. Do. It doesn't matter how much experience they have. It doesn't matter whether they work with a competitor. Um, maybe they work with a comp like, okay, yes, I can see some scenarios, but in most scenarios, they've worked with them in a very early stage, but now you're late stage or the other way around, or they work with them in market this and not the other market, or when the market was more mature, less mature. So as these things are so contextual, it always goes back to, and I'm being an, I'm touring the same wheel here, but you always have to go back to understanding your fundamentals. You cannot bypass that. Yeah. If you have them though, if you have that, though, one advice that I would really give, and this is the second mistake, is get good at, at like, I would just really understand those as another outbound channel, like, mm -hmm. just like you would a marketing channel and measure them versus the other channels. So if all you're really doing is getting just leads or just event invites or meetings booked or whatever, then measure them as such, right? Put them into your funnel, have a maybe a certain stage for them or have them synchronized with your funnel where they come in maybe with all the other leads. Measure them on ROI, attribute whatever you need to them. Maybe let's say you had other marketing touch points as well. Uh, and then just go out there and then let them compete with your other marketing channels. And then you will know that. And this is where I would really go by, go and test it. Like uh, yeah. a lot of agencies will let you say, hey, let's do a test two, three, four weeks. You should pay for that. Absolutely. So I've also had companies of ours in our portfolio who didn't want to pay for a test. And I believe, I mean, that's, there's real work in that. So you should pay for it. That's fine. And then write it out and say, hey, this lead actually cost us very little and it converted well. So go mm -hmm. ahead and do it. Yeah. Do you think there's, 
I mean, we talked a couple of like, hey, it can work here, it can work there. Do you think besides the stage of the company and what you know about your audience and how to approach it, do you think there are like some other parameters where that should influence your decision-making kind of, so I'm just saying like, hey, it's super enterprise kind of stuff. Can it work there or not? It's super high value. It's super high volume. It's, it's super highly educated personas versus not. Is there something like that where you would say like, well, you know, at least along that dimension, if you're on, you know, on the top, then maybe not. If you're on the bottom, then maybe yes. Is there, is there something like that yeah. where you can kind of give some, some guideline? So very, very broadly, not scientific here. I think I've seen two kinds of agencies and they're never going to sell it to you like that. They're always going to tell you they can do both, but you have to understand that what is it that you're missing? And I've seen two cases. Case number one is that particular agency, and actually some come to mind because this is the more common case, I would say, they're really good at doing more efficiently what you could do otherwise not so efficiently. Mm -hmm. um, so th they really differentiate themselves by having great sequencing, having a great tool setup, having a great styling uh, solution that, and, and even logic around that, having people who know how to handle all that and really go high volume. And so that way, at the end of the day, maybe you pay by the hour, maybe you pay by what comes out of the lead, but at least you'll be faster or cheaper, mm -hmm. um, which is like really the volume play. And that doesn't mean that they suck at what they do or they're not good at it, but that's what they optimize. Mm -hmm. And then the other play, and if you're missing that, if you're saying, hey, we just need volume, like it's really simple what we do. Like here's an event, invite someone and, and then do it well. That's great, right? Because it's unlikely for you to be able to do it as efficiently as them unless you have a superior setup, which who knows if that cost yeah. is even warranted in your company. Now, the second case is if someone brings a value add, especially some sort of knowledge or experience that you're either missing or that you have, but that you can't sort of scale very easily within your company. And that is either industry or a customer type uh, or some certain kind of in to that company. And a lot of companies and outsourcing companies say they have that, but very rarely do they really have it to the extent that you do. And, and you should really go, the first one is easy to test really just by, or I mean, it's simple to test just by setting it up as a marketing channel and measuring against it. The second one is a bit more difficult, but you can still go by, of course, setting it up as a marketing channel, testing against it. But bef before the fact, ex ante, it's a bit more difficult because they're all saying that. They're all telling you about, and I think it's vastly overrated to go by the customers they had before that were like you. So you're going you're gonna to ask them, hey, we are a software as a service in the this and this sector, whatever. Have you worked with customers like us? And they're like, oh, yeah, sure. Here's these four case studies. And then you get giddy and excited. And you're like, oh, my God, they know what we're doing. Almost never works like that. You should really go a bit more qualitative and, and try to really understand what is their understanding of, of what it is you're doing. And not just there because you're most likely talking to the founder or the partner of that company, yeah. but the salespeople who would do the job. And let's just say you have an outbound team in Germany, five, ten people or something like this. If you needed to, if you had the desire and so forth, would you add an outbound agent in the same region? Would you do that? Yeah. What do you think? Where, where, where does that question come from? So because it's just operational chaos, right? Then the next question is, are they in your CRM? Are they in their CRM? You know, where are those leads? Where's the information? Blah, 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 blah. And there, there's suddenly a lot of additional operational complexity that is involved in making sure that you're not calling the same accounts at the same time and that there's some organization around it, basically which then in terms of just transaction costs, suddenly this is not a plug and play thing anymore. Suddenly you need to think about the whole operation and how it integrates with what you're currently doing. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I would say though, there are some cases where even in that scenario, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. And there's basically two cases. 
And that's two companies that come to mind right now. So in one company, there was three large events, basically trade fairs mm. in a year. And those trade fairs would represent 40, 50% of their revenue in, in, a, in a lot of years. And, but the way that it worked was that it didn't make sense for them to have salespeople just doing like, just calling them all year. So they didn't build up the capability to do that kind of thing. And for them, they had a partner who they had worked with for a couple of years, who every February, every June, and every September would get a thousand customers, call them through and get a hundred of them to come to that event, to that booth and talk to you, right? Mm. Made a lot of sense. Was not very expensive. I mean, they did pay a good amount of money for that, but they had the same partner who knew what the deal was, not always the same salespeople. And remember that, by the way, really, really big. It's not like a SaaS company. The, the product in the end is a, is a person doing something for you. So mm -hmm. just because you had a good experience or someone else had a good experience with that partner doesn't mean you're going to get the same because there is obviously ups and downs with people. But just to kind of stop you there for a second. So the use case here was they went through three trade fairs, which they didn't host. They just had a booth there. And then they had a partner call up a bunch of people to say like, hey, go to the fair or are you going to the fair? If you are cool, you know, stop by that booth. That's basically what they did, right? Yeah, there was a bit more. They had like an after party and there was like yeah, some okay. sort of event. But yeah, it was basically just getting the word out, talking mm -hmm. a little bit about it and targeting it a little bit toward the customer really wanted to hear. Mm -hmm. So it was not, you couldn't automate it in such a way yeah. that, that you would get that same thing across. And so that's the first case where this worked really well. And then the second is not that different, but we have a couple of our companies that are, have some very seasonal components. And so in that case, it's more about upscaling or scaling down sort of your workforce, which is very, very difficult to do, obviously, with people on payroll. But if you know, for example, we have a couple of companies in the printing industry, for example, or we have companies in the sort of gig working event thing, there is seasonality in there. And there it's very difficult to say, okay, what do you do now if sometimes once or twice a year, your capacity requirements go 4x? Okay, what do you do, right? You have to do that. And then you can just pray that you find someone who you can sort of stick through with time and you can go up and down very easily yeah. because you don't want to onboard a new partner every single time, onboard a new CRM, do all that stuff, which is, and that's why I agree with you, it's operationally very difficult. But I think kind of if you take those two cases apart, right, the second one, it's almost a necessity, right? Let's just say you need 50 people doing the work in March and then in June, you don't have the need for that anymore. What do you do with them for the rest of the year? It's like, well... Yes, you have to outsource this whole thing, right? There's very little you can do about this, right? So you're kind of forced into this. I think the first one was pretty interesting for at least me kind of listening to this. And I think the reason why it might work really well is because it's a very simple product that they're selling, right? The product is, I don't know, e-commerce banking backend or something like that. It's, hey, if you're at the event, go to the booth, go to the after party, kind of, hey, it's going to be awesome. That's the product that they are selling basically in that moment. And then once that has been sold, kind of then it's being taken over by the internal sales team, basically, right? It's a simpler pitch instead of trying to, and I'm just thinking of some complicated SaaS solution, right? Kind of, hey, what's your pains with your current, you know, e-commerce backend or whatever, right? So that's not necessarily what they're selling there. They're selling the setup more than, than the product or anything like this, right? Which then in my mind makes a ton of sense actually kind of that that is something that I think can be um can be easier sold and onboarded and kind of trained and enabled than some of the other stuff right by the way you started with that in the beginning you said you had some difficulty the first time you tried to do that mm -hmm. how did that work out by the way so have you had any good experiences with this have you actually come so through we had with it? we tried it three times once the marketing guy tried it 
created a bunch of mediocre to shitty opportunities, but one ended up being the biggest deal in company history up until that point. <laughs> but it was kind of one of those like, you know, one-offs and, you know, lucky shots. And so we ended up stopping that actually. And then the the other two times I tried it once in the US because we didn't get into the hiring quickly enough. It was just a big operational kind of issue to kind of get this done. They need to be in your CRM and then you don't obviously want to show all the CRM data. Then you do with Salesforce, there are a couple of solutions to do it and all this back and forth. And how do you make sure that, you know, they communicate well, that the handover is as good as possible with the AE and there's like a learning there because you kind of need some of the same mechanics that you have in place in order to make your own SDR team successful. You need to have that also for these externals, right? And that became extremely tricky, actually. And I think then one more time we tried it in Germany because it was so difficult to hire good outbound reps in Germany. Vertrieb is kind of, it's still a th- hmm. It's still not not a not an honorable job, I feel, in Germany. And therefore, the access to talent wanting to do this seemed to me much, much lower, especially people with, you know, I should say like a bachelor degree or something like this, that then are basically doing outbound in this in the SaaS industry here. That's why we tried to to do this in, in Germany as well, but we never got it to a point where we could and as you said, we looked at this money X in, how much money are we getting out? Kind of we looked at this like this. Uh, and we never got confidence that this is a a long-term thing we could be doing. And is actually helping us and is hitting the CAC payback numbers that we wanted to see, right? So that's why it never fully worked out for me. So, And my reflection is almost, and to a degree, hearing the same thing from you, if you can dumb down what it is that it's being, quote-unquote, sold in that, in that part of the process, I think then you can be more successful with it. And kind of the events piece is one example where it's a very simple product that's being sold. If you're able to sell the demo as something similar, very simple, I think then that can be a solution. But in many cases, in those first couple of conversations in Outbound, you do need to find a little bit of a pain. You do need to kind of create a motivation to show up at that demo and so forth, right? And that then are we kind of veers a little bit more into, well, this is complex territory, I, I would say, right? And therefore, it becomes harder and harder to outsource and enable potentially. So I think this is where my head is going. I'm also thinking if you have a a full-on SMB use case where you almost go into call center mode, let's just say it like this, right? If I had a 3000 ACV SMB or, or lower SMB product and I would want to call people working in restaurants or hotels, of which there are just many, could that be done through a call center kind of approach? We basically kind of give them a very simple set of questions. Are you using pen and paper to do your scheduling? Yes. Is it annoying? Yes. Do you want to change that? Yeah, maybe. And then, you know, if you could do something like that, maybe through a, a call center. And a call center approach for me is way less consultative. It's, you know, just running the phone, sitting there doing like, I don't know, $500 a day or something like this which brings costs down, but also you need to bring complexity down a lot for this to work out, right? I'm just kind of, you know, thinking, is that something that could actually work out? I'm not sure if it could. I've never tried it, but I'm just trying to kind of think through the economics, actually. Yeah. So I think you said something very interesting there, and I I don't think that that can work really well. Yeah. Um, n- again, edge cases take those away. And why is that? Because I think this sort of belief which is funny because I know a lot of people out there have that belief and it's sort of being propagated by the big names and the big mouths uh, of the industry, which are wonderful mouths and all that. But 
uh, a lot of times this ACV thing, and you've heard this from me a couple of times, I think it's totally misunderstood what that means. And there's so much misinterpreted into it. And one of the things that's misinterpreted into it is lower ACV means low complexity. That's not true. Not necessarily. Or it means that you don't have, like, low ACV does not, I mean, it means you, sh you would want to have a lower sales cycle. No, what I'm trying to say, just to kind of jump in here, it's really more about, it's two levers to pull, right? So one, you need to, whatever you're selling it for, if you're using this call, and we're just playing around with this call center idea here for a second, you would need to decrease the complexity of the conversation by a lot, right? It needs to be yeah. a super simple conversation. And the reason why I'm saying call center then on the other side is usually doing outbound below 3,000 euros a year, it's difficult to make this work economically, right? But if you could do it in a call center motion with usually fairly low paid employees, insane activities, you know, could you get two or three meetings out of a person per day? And yeah. then suddenly this whole thing makes sense again, right? And that was kind of my my thinking here. It's not about low ACV is simple to sell. It's more, you know, low ACV usually excludes outbound. And to your point, like outbound is a form of control. So you want to have that. And that's why I was just screwing, screwing around with this call center idea for a second. So, you know. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Tony, I have one I don't know if that will be difficult for you, but it's difficult for me in my head right now. I have one question for you. As the planning guy, mm -hmm. revenue planning guy especially, how do you deal with, let's say you are working with some sort of outsourcing, outbound aspect. How do you deal with that when revenue planning? Would you just see that really as just an agnostic marketing channel and there is some sort of performance? But then again, do you have sort of the same control over it as you would have with your own channels and the spending that you do there? I'll stop talking here, but how do you deal with that in planning? Have you had that problem? And if not, yeah. how would you approach it? So I think the the way I would look at this is it depends a little bit on how mature that channel is. Just like any other channel that you're building or have built so far, right? If you have some solid and good data and good experiences coming out of this channel, then number one, what you could expect going forward, especially in with that channel, is we can probably achieve the same thing that we achieved last year. I think that's fair to say, especially if the efficiency and the CAC payback and all of these things are in a way where you can trust that, especially with outbound by itself. So you, the thing is almost, right, you might be reaching the limits of what that outsourcing partner can do for you. But again, then there are like 20 other outsourcing partners around the corner that you could also you know, work with if you wanted to, right? So I think in theory, it is scalable. Is it, you know, triple, quadruple scalable every year? I don't think so necessarily. Um, but, you know, in terms of scalability, I think it's probably going to be on par with your internal resources. Because the internal resources, you will have issues with hiring and onboarding and ramping and, and all of that other stuff as well, right? There's a lot of drag on that motion that you have internally. If you're able to kind of get this, get this set up externally, your drag there is more like the friction between the two organizations, if you will, the turnover that they're having and, you know, that stuff that's happening on that side. So I think if I were to kind of plan for this, if it's an experimentation stage, I would put it into my like confidence level 80% kind of plan and kind of be like, well, this is, let's mm. stretch, let's try it out. If it works for you for a year already or for six months and you kind of feel confident about it, number one, at least you can take, you know, last year's performance and put it into your C95 plan and be like fairly certain that you can see this again. And then, you know, if you want to increase that, right, then then it it depends a little bit on the partner that you're having. It depends a little bit on the TAM and all of those other kind of things. But that's how I would approach it from a, you know, forward-looking forecasting kind of perspective, actually. So you're basically saying 
for the non-planning geniuses among us, you're basically saying the, yes, there is some difficulty in doing it, but it's along the same lines of the difficulty we would have with your own team, especially as not everything is currently fully in place yet and you don't know all, everything yet, which you never do. But No, uh, exactly. I mean, early on. I think I very much agree with the notion that kind of you mentioned earlier, like, hey, it's just another marketing channel. <laughs> Let's not overcomplicate this thing. It's just another marketing channel. And you have risks and upsides with, you know, your ongoing current channels. All of them are unique, right? So Facebook targeting could go down again and then you're screwed again. The same thing, you know, your SDR team, they might all leave because, I don't know, something happens. You have the same risks there on a quantitative level, if you will, but the source of those risks will be different. And I think... I think if you can make it work in the outbounding, which I'm not sure actually, you know, that's still, I'm still leaning con versus cure here, but if you can make it work, yeah, sure. So why wouldn't you kind of include this into your planning going forward and build this out as a revenue lag to stand on? Yeah, I think Tony, you summed it up very nicely. After taking everyone on a detour here, basically everything can be summed up. It's just another marketing channel. <laughs> and if you can make it work, great. And let's act according to that. Absolutely. Roll. thanks. Thanks so much for the chat and thanks everyone for listening. Bye.